adventures of a librarian turned sniper, Liberty Schoenhauer, who finds that aliens started the zombie apocalypse. These things happen. She is aided by the great Uncle Danny Tough as Nails, and together they try and save as many people in the book Liberty's Run. Book one is out now at Amazon and Mythmart, and book two is coming soon in August. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. I am your host, Jenna Sparks, and this is episode 181. So again, welcome to the world of Myth Bits. Alright, let's get housekeeping out of the way. First and foremost, Dark Myth Publications congratulates Marine Ahmed with her book Incandescence, which can be found on Myth Mart. So get your copy in now. Judging for the quarterfinals of this year's Open Contract Challenge are underway. Remember, only five contestants will move on to the semifinals. And the World of Myth is still taking submissions for both our Pride Month and June's issues. Uh, So yeah, so that's really it. It's kind of a quiet week. Um, I am, as per usual, exhausted. (laughs) Getting ready for... Midsummer Scream. So, we we got our table. I Joe and I got a table for Midsummer Scream, which is uh, a horror convention in Long Beach in the middle of July, which I'm not excited about that. But we got our table shortly before COVID. It was a couple months before COVID. And uh, because you have to register very, very early on before... <laughs> You can even be considered to get a table. It's it's not super. It wasn't very easy to get to get into. Um, at least that's what everybody had told me um, <laughs> at the time. So <clears throat> pretty much the minute registration opened, we jumped on board. We got a table, and that was back in late 2019, I believe. So I have been planning this for the past two plus years, you know, and sorry, my throat's annoying. Um, it's, it's been, I don't know. It's been so tiresome because, you know, we, we all know, I don't want to complain. I don't want to complain about, you know, COVID and everything, but because I, I, I realize things could have been so, so, so much worse, but just in terms of, of time in time and utilizing that time, 
it it's very difficult. And when we <clears throat> when we started doing this podcast, I we had entered COVID territory, hadn't we? Wow. So <clears throat> Yeah, you guys don't really know me pre-COVID. Interesting. Anyway, let me get back to the point. Um, the duration of COVID, you know, time gets a little conflicting because you're waiting. You know, we all were waiting. We were all waiting to hear when lockdown would be, you know, up, when numbers would start looking better when, you know, things could start getting a little bit back to normal. At the time, honestly, selfishly, I don't I don't want to I don't mean about the virus itself because horrors. <laughs> I'm not talking about that, but just in terms of the actual concept of time. I I had no qualms with life just pausing. You know what I mean? Um, again, I don't mean with the actual virus and, and the people who died and who are dying and all of that, but just the, I don't have to, I don't have to go out. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm forced to be home. <laughs> I'm forced to, and, and again, I realize things are very, uh, I'm very, very fortunate on my end that, you know, that was my worry was, oh, no, when's it going to be up? I don't want it to be. So <clears throat> anyway, um, Midsummer Stream. So the entire duration of lockdown was me working on stuff for Midsummer Scream and Scarefare. But I knew about Midsummer Scream before I knew about Scarefare. I even knew about Midsummer Scream before I even knew about PCE, let's be honest. You know, uh, well, that's not true. They kind of happened right around the same time. Um, but, you know, it, it's finally happening. And the friends who I have who've done this event, um, you know, they talk a big game, essentially. And I'm like, oh, no, little old me, I'm not going to have very much luck. But I'm kind of, I'm I'm overcompensating, I think, you know, and a lot of my problem is spending the last two plus years working on pieces specifically intended for Midsummer Scream, and now it's like the things that I did, you know, last year for Midsummer Scream, I'm like, well, now they're kind of old. <laughs> So now I need to do this piece and this piece. So <clears throat> I've done what we do in the shadows. I'm going to do a piece for Repo, the genetic opera, maybe two pieces. I'm running out of time, so probably just one. And then I have, what, 72? 72 candles to make. Um, patches to make um prints to order I have to make a new banner <laughs> to redo my tablecloth I'm pooped guys I'm pooped so <clears throat> that also being said I'm I'm 
It's just, I remember like, like many, 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 many months ago thinking, oh, I'll only have to be in the state of mind for a little while. And now it's, it's just my norm and I'm tired of it. I'm very tired of it. I can feel my body just like giving in. Um, but that's enough of me complaining. Let's talk about a couple things. Um, has everybody caught up on Stranger Things yet? That was a phenomenal first part. I fell out of love with Stranger Things. I won't lie. The first season to me is perfect TV. Perfect storytelling, storytelling, perfect you know, nostalgic horror. I think they hit every nail on every head, you know, perfection, perfection. Seasons two and three, they were okay, but I just kind of, um, I just kind of fell a little out of love with them, you know? It was like, oh, a little bit less exciting. Season four, however, I am, they have completely turned it around. You know, and that's not to say seasons two and three were bad. I don't mean it like that. They were good seasons. They were well written, you know? Um, it just, they weren't... <laughs> It kind of started just getting a little bit less um, interesting, and I am actually rewatching them because I haven't re I haven't watched seasons one through no two through one through three since they came out, you know, like forever ago. So season four though is. <clears throat> To me, hands down, it, it's so good. It's just such a phenomenal season so far. Um, so I'm very excited for the remaining, what is it, two episodes set to air in a couple weeks that I cannot wait for. Holy crap. Also this month, we have the return of uh, Westworld, which I'm super stoked about. I know a lot of people hate how Westworld has kind of gone, um, but I think they can go... Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I can't think of a good thing. Uh, they can just go away is what they can do. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of really interesting stories in the Westworld universe and, uh, last season I really enjoyed it so much that I actually did an entire drawing of Dolores based on it. Um, what else? What else have I been... <sighs> annoyingly eating up. Joe and I have been watching Under Under the Banner of Heaven, which is interesting. Uh, and then that also inspired me to rewatch Big Love because I, I was obsessed with Big Love when it came out. Uh, not right when it came out, but like a couple years after it came out and then I started watching it. Um, back when I was quite young. <laughs> you know, I had, I had no understanding of you know fundamentalism uh at the time and it's, it's definitely interesting and so it's kind of funny because Dustin Lance Black who wrote for Big Love he actually uh, is the the creator and I believe writer or director for Under the Banner of Heaven so it's kind of funny kind of funny uh anyway um I'm boring I'm boring my I have no life you know what I mean like that that's my life is is working and watching TV, <laughs> uh, drawing, drawing everything. But 
today I do want to talk about Pride. It seems like every June, Pride Month hits, and especially in recent years, uh, it's become all about rainbow capitalism. It's pretty self-explanatory, that term, uh, but rainbow capitalism or pink homo or gay capitalism uh, is is when we see corporations put on um, a huge show during the month and proclaim their allyship while simultaneously selling pride merchandise that benefits no one. Uh, it's exploitive, and honestly, it's it's just really cringy anymore. Uh, don't get me wrong, I think most people are, are in a cl- like complete agreement that seeing LGBTQIA merch and products, imagery, and whatnot in big box stores isn't, it's not horrible. You know, visibility is visibility. Uh, and even, I believe this year, Target started selling uh, a binder in store, which I think is great because it was also not a super expensive binder. And if you know anything about binders, they can get super expensive, <laughs> super fast. And um, <clears throat> so don't quote me on that, that they actually stocked that. But if that's the case, they're actually selling care, like trans affirming care products. That's awesome. But I we really haven't seen that yet. Um, <clears throat> so what what is pride if not really an opportunity to see banks and major corporations pledge their support for uh, the LGBTQIA community for 30 days out of the year uh, or for people to, (laughs) for the the people who claim that using they, them pronouns is incorrect grammar uh, and still call themselves an ally on your Facebook feed, Uh, which, (laughs) oh my God, I don't even want to. Uh, yeah, no, that's an annoying argument, so please don't use it. Um, in June of 1969, the Stonewall Uprising happened in New York, and these riots were a series of protests arranged by members of the LGBTQIA community after a police raid at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, the, that neighborhood. <clears throat> Sorry, I know I'm trying not to cough. Um, But this rebellion was detrimental in the fight for equality and LGBTQ rights within this country. A year later, demonstrations continued and rallying cries became an annual event wherein the LGBTQ community marched through major cities. Now, this is the PG-rated, completely watered-down retelling of the event, This episode is not meant to be a history lesson, especially regarding Stonewall uh, and its preceding years, but a reminder of the importance of the event itself and the memory of it to this day. So it's not, you know, you name it, putting a rainbow on their logo and pretending that they've been helping uh, the LGBTQ community for the entire year. What is it? Uh, TV Land has done it. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I preach all the time about the overutilization of trauma to tell the stories of LGBTQIA people, particularly because often those stories are told from the comfort 
or the perspective of people who don't consider themselves a part of the community for the uh, benefit of making themselves look like an excellent ally, if you will. And I truly, I don't want to, I don't want this episode to be, um, you know, exploitive of that reality. But I also want to maintain openness and complete transparency and further the conversation, you know, because <clears throat> because this is a podcast wherein I'm sitting by myself unchallenged, it's it's essentially a vacuum sealed little safe space for me. Uh, I've never been too shy about my identity or who I am, but I also have been very careful about who I talk to about it uh, at all. I don't know who I'm talking to, and if, uh, you know, I, I don't owe anybody my safety, is the thing. Nobody owes anybody their safety. Uh, outing yourself is, <laughs> without question, absolutely terrifying. Um, even today, because these days we are still facing, you know, super vicious, horrendous violence and hatred toward LGBTQIA uh, people in the community, and honestly, sometimes it's a little hard to feel helpful, you know, looking, uh, to recent news, Rebel Wilson recently came out. And the only reason she came out is because, um, it was a magazine, a publisher, somebody in, uh, media in Australia was going to out her. And before they could publicly out her against her will. She had to, she took that away from them. She took away the opportunity, but she was forced to come out. That's horrendous. And there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that we see who are forced into that position. And it's no bueno. Um, I knew I wasn't straight, you know, when I was super young. Um, and I'm going to talk a lot of it up to just straight up curiosity, honestly, and imagination. And I mean, I do look back and, <laughs> oh boy, it is as plain as day, you know, and it really does crack me up. And, and while I got to get harassed, uh, on the regular with slurs and <sighs> all that, um, Ever so joyous confrontations. I I did eventually make it to the early 2000s uh, when Katy Perry released I Kissed a Girl. Now, the song itself is uh, not as, you know, edgy or progressive as it seems, especially today. Uh, and and even at the time, it was it was very much a a designation of the point in time regarding sexuality, if that if that makes sense. Uh, it was suddenly very trendy for girls to kiss girls. And I think a lot of people really kind of got to explore their sexuality uh, during that time. And they also got to explore their identity without a whole lot of judgment from their peers. That is the key word. Um... So for us, you know, the rising popularity of the emo subculture that we were seeing left and right, um, it, it kind of began shifting the narrative really slightly, very, very slightly. 
Um, suddenly, androgyny was back in style, you know, not only with <clears throat> makeup and style and fashion, uh, you know, there was a lot of freedom with that exploration. You know what I mean? And that that was how I came up. Those were my teenage years for the most part. Um, and I think it kind of made a, a big difference to who I was and, and how I became okay with who I am, you know, because at the time, you know, it, it was, you know, it's, it's something a lot of people face every generation. I don't think any generation is without it, but it's like, if everybody thinks that gender identity or your sexuality is some kind of weird ploy that people just jump on this bandwagon because, oh, it's there. Um, that's not the case. You know? So, you know, there was a lot of daunting aspects of if I tell my friends, you know, I'm, I'm not straight, are they gonna think it's just because, you know, uh, it's it's the cool thing. It'll make me edgier. I don't know. Uh, but being uh, being bisexual, um, it comes with both privileges and absolute prejudices. And as I've grown older, I've had to do a lot of mental labor regarding everything. And the one thing I've learned is that sexuality can be very fluid for everybody. It's a very personal journey. And, um, you know, we all have the right to reserve who we open up to, uh, especially about our experiences. And I've learned to kind of stand up for myself in the right moments because, uh, by erasure, you know, that happens. Or the fact that, you know, I've, I've married a guy apparently to some people means that I've like reset to some kind of weird default. I don't know. Uh, it's not the case. I love my partner, uh, regardless of their gender. It has never been a defining factor for me. That's the big thing. So why am I being so candid about this at length and, and right now? Because I do feel I bear some kind of responsibility in the importance of these discussions. And just in case there's someone listening who is unsure or maybe has felt unseen, like, look, I got you, you know, that and I thought it'd be kind of a lot of fun to <laughs> uh, take this opportunity to talk about influences, you know, the important characters we grew up with or the trailblazers who are daring to take up space, you know, I, I really just kind of want to laugh and have fun because at the end of the day, I am I am very, very sick of seeing the rampant phobias that are so much more normalized than the actual uh, act, the actual the actual simple existence of people, you know? So, yeah, so I just kind of want to have the chance to have a little bit more fun. And I also want to lead with this disclaimer. There are so many characters and ships and 
actors and creators and musicians who are, you know, absolutely worthy of such a much better list than the one I've come up with. It's not even really a list, okay? It's like three bullet points. But <laughs> I'm I'm just going to stick with the ones that, like, for me, truly made, like, a major impact. You know what I mean? Um, for me personally, and these are just a very small handful. Like, this isn't even the full list. This is just some of the ones I really wanted to talk about because, honestly, we don't have, like, 20 hours to go over this. Unless I just turn this into a super gay show. Um, which, hmm. Okay, the gay agenda. <laughs> so, to start us off, um, one of my favorites is Sirius Black and Remus Lupin from the Harry Potter series. Uh, so, all right. This one is not canonical, uh, though it's not not canonical, you know what I mean? Uh, but Wolf Star or Moon Star or Padmoon, it, it is a fanon ship that plenty of Harry Potter fans have long rallied behind <laughs> and fully support, you know? And <clears throat> while it may be, um, at least may seem a little counterproductive to discuss a series of novels written by someone with super transphobic views, especially during Pride Month, uh, I'm also here to prove just uh, how much more important the fandom is regarding this series, because in this fandom, so many found themselves, you know, they found a safe place for themselves, and I think taking that away from anyone is just not fair or right, and to shame anybody for that, you know, I think is is kind of icky, and, and probably shouldn't do that. Um... So we're not we're not going to talk about the horrendously disturbing, uh, harmful views from one person, but rather the impact of the fans finding a caring, and nurturing and wholesome relationship tucked away in the lore of the Marauders. So depending on the fan, though, some fans negate the idea of Lupin being bisexual. Others are more comfortable with the idea of a man being bisexual. You know, biphobia is just really, really annoying in that regard. Uh, I personally love the idea of bilupin, you know, and the power of the fluidity and evolution of love. I think this is such a defining ship that showcases the immense power of fandom over the author's intentions and just how important it is for people to find characters to relate to. And, you know, on top of that, well, well, I love, love, love the cast of the film's fandom is something that, you know, truly is powerful and sees so many more people represented. And it's it's so much more fun. You know, it's a lot of fun because, you know, you get the fan casts, you get uh, you get so much more. And I think, you know, fans get so creative, especially with like marauder lore and stuff it's so fun it is just it's so much fun to see and to look at and it's so wholesome you know what I mean like I can't express that enough it's such wholesome preciousness and it makes me happy so next step Elliot Quentin and Alice and the Magicians 
Did you really think we were going to do this without the magicians? Uh, of course not. Sorry, not sorry. I have spoken at length about this series, and it's not about to stop here. While admittedly the series does at times fall into the trope of, like, over-traumatization, I think it's fair to say it really treats all his characters like that. The magicians, while there is... <sighs> lingering fragments of hope and wonder it it does feature a ton of super depressing and hopeless scenarios and i think my entire perspective uh of storing storytelling just completely changed during one episode it was really like five minutes honestly in this episode and i know i've talked about it but i'm talking about it again because any excuse is uh good enough for me so in season three's fifth episode titled timing is everything we find quentin Quentin, can't talk today, Quentin, by King, and Elliot, gay King, who have already had one physical tryst prior, stuck in a parallel timeline together on another realm. Well, I guess it wouldn't really be parallel. Um, let me see if I can explain this super quick, though. Uh, this season, we find our protagonists up against the disappearance of magic with our royal characters, their literal royalty in Fillory. Uh, they're doing their part, <clears throat> you know, to to solve this mystery. Uh, and our characters on Earth's realm are doing their part, you know, to find a series of keys that will ultimately save magic. The lore is, is a lot of fun this season. So Quentin and Elliot are searching for one key in particular and wind up in the past in Fillory. Fillory is a fictional world, or... <sighs> We thought it was a fictional world, you know, it's very, <clears throat> it's, it's a fantastical realm. Oh my gosh. I'm all over the place today. Uh, the task is, <sighs> they're set up to do a task <laughs> to get this key. And the task is to piece together a mosaic to make up, uh, and... The mosaic will demonstrate, quote, the beauty of all life. And so they spend years working on this task and they live in little, this little cottage in Fillory's woods. Quentin meets and has a child with a woman who is a peach farmer. Um, Hale Appleman, the actor who played Ke uh, Elliot, he, he said that he thought that they were actually like a full family. Uh, quote, I think that they were essentially in love, you know, with each other. There was a familial bond there. I think that their child also became Elliot's child. And yeah, I think they were a family. So Elliot and Quentin, they go on to raise this kid together over some decades, living an absolutely beautiful life together. And they raise this kid. They have this glorious little life in the woods just trying to build this mosaic. That's it. You know, but they're happy. They're happy. They've li they're living a life of peace and calm. Uh, Elliot dies of old age, and Quentin kind of resigns himself and goes to dig Elliot's grave. Buried in the spot that Quentin was appending, uh, the soil was... Uh, they a missing mosaic tile was found right there. 
And so Quentin carries it to the mosaic space where, you know, the, the rest of the tiles are. And he puts it in the center. And lo and behold, the key presents itself. It was truly the beauty of all life. You know, he found it when he was laying the love of his life to rest. So after some timey-wimey fun stuff, Quentin and Elliot wind up back in the present, having had the opportunity to live this entire life together in love with joy and peace and happiness. They don't immediately recall everything, but upon tasting a peach, I believe it was, uh, they both remember that entire life. And later... In a, in a later episode, uh, Elliot's body is taken hostage by this, like, possessive monster. Uh, Quentin reaches Elliot's conscientiousness, uh, consciousness, conscience, conscience, uh, buried deep beneath, like, where the monster is in his mind. And he, he just uses the phrase, peaches and plums, mother effer. Uh, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And... Beyond that, the magicians did a beautiful job of laying out the complications of love and, again, bisexuality. There are wonderful arrangements of romances and relationships that blossom and flourish or dissipate and dissolve. It's just wonderfully and pleasantly authentic. And next up, the fairy queen from the magicians. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I just... I can't help it. You'd really think that The Magicians is the only thing I watch. It's not, I promise. I just can't not include this character because she is, without a doubt, one of my absolute favorites. And uh, it's one of my my favorite storylines throughout, not just the series, just in general. So in the season two finale and uh, then throughout season three, we meet the Fairy Queen, played by Candace Kane, who is a trans woman. Uh, but the most amazing part of the fairy queen is that she is just a fully conceptualized character who is both a villain and a hero. And, um, she's just freaking amazing. She's such a good character. Her arc is so fascinating and captivating and really such an interesting, again, character. By the end of her arc, you're absolutely on her side. You can't help it. And, uh, and Candace Kane is a phenom, and The Magicians is over. I get it. Um, and I'm not really always, like, up for sequels and prequels and all other spinoffs. Um, if there were ever a prequel regarding the, the fairies, I would totally be all in. So, <clears throat> on that note, though, well, not really on that note, just on a different note. <laughs> Again, I'm all over the place today, guys. Um, I think... You know, there's there's so much. It almost feels like when there is representation, there's representation. But there's also it. We always have to compromise. And I put it in which you'll you'll see coming up this later this month. Um. I reviewed Our Flag Means Death. And Our Flag Means Death is an excellent, excellent show of where, where we should be in terms of storytelling. Um, 
and and just existing. You know what I mean? Um, and hopefully you read it and hopefully you enjoy it. And I don't want to give away too much, but um, Our Flag Means Death is, is another excellent, excellent example of complete visibility. You know, absolute, meticulous, perfected visibility. And it doesn't feel like anybody's story is a compromise. It doesn't feel like we're only getting these illusions, these little breadcrumbs, the way Disney likes to do, or, you know, pretty much it's it's not skirting around anything. And rather than, you know, make a big deal out of it, which is a huge thing I, I you know, I think most fans, because it has become such a cult a classic for fans already is it's not it's just joyful it's just joyful it's not about people being murdered because they're trans people being murdered because they're gay people being murdered because you know whatever it's literally just people who are existing People aren't being called names. They're not being called slurs, you know. And it's, like, it's so sad. It's so sad that, like, that's something we have to sit here and be like, that's that's all people want, you know what I mean? Like, that's what people want. And don't get me wrong. I, I say it every time it ever gets brought up, you know, the importance of telling the truth and telling the truth of, you know, life as a person in the LGBTQIA community unfortunately does come with a lot of trauma but that's not it that's not all there is you know and I just think things are they're gradually getting better I think they're you know we're seeing definite improvements um I think we all need to make more effort to seek out, you know, um, and listen to LGBTQ creators. And, you know, I, I feel like I, I've said all of this already. And I feel like I'm just kind of running out of the stamina to keep saying it and I don't know if anybody's even listening I don't know if anybody hears it I don't know if anybody cares um it just um I'm ready I think most people are super ready just not to be super tired anymore you know I think we're we're done <clears throat> with the compromises and the nibbles and the um quote unquote allyship um yeah uh, another excellent representation that I always giggle at is uh what we do in the shadows modern day modern day one uh there's a lot like I said I I minced a lot of 
uh, characters and media and everything. Uh, there's so many. There's so, so many amazing characters out there. Um, but yeah, so this Pride Month, make sure that you buy from indie LGBTQIA sellers if you want to get any Pride merch. Um, you know, and try to do that, try to actually do that year round, you know, don't just do that for pride month, do that year round, um, support people, uh, make sure that if you're going to donate to any causes, you do your research and you make sure that that cause isn't actually harmful. Um, make sure that, um, you're doing your reading, you're doing your reading, you're doing your reading and you are learning and we should always be learning. We should always be Striving to understand more and more and more, right? So, that is that. And I now need to go paint my What We Do in the Shadows pieces uh, with a hot pink background because it's Pride Month. <laughs> Sorry. So, alright guys, you can find us at theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine and on Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. I'm thinking maybe after Midsummer Scream, I may have to come back and, and redo this list because I feel like I haven't been able to do it uh, a lot of justice because again, there's, and I know I'm going to think about it for the next like five weeks just like oh my gosh why didn't I talk about that why didn't I talk about that because again I don't have 20 hours but you know what maybe I do have 20 hours maybe I'll just do like I said uh the full gay agenda show so all right <laughs> until next time